Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And this is Side Note. A podcast where we discuss, debate, and deep dive into the topics that are controversial right now. And then we research and splice in all the mind-blowing shiznit throughout so that you are entertained while simultaneously learning. Today, we're going to talk about Greg's foray into becoming a stand-up comedian, then talk to a professional comedian about how to craft jokes, and then finally discuss and debate the issues that are plaguing the comedy industry right now, all while splicing in the amazing science throughout. Why did the chicken cross the road? <laughs> Why did the chicken cross the road? I've always wanted to do a science episode on that. Oh, and just got like real deep? Like yeah, physiology? or like talk about, yeah, just find a fun way to answer that question from different scientific perspectives. Okay, we just gave away a great idea. That is such a good idea. Okay, well, we're going to release that Don't before we release the podcast. Don't steal that other comedy, <laughs> I mean comedy science animation channels that exist now. Wait, tell me about your experience becoming a comedian, what that's been like coming from like a science background to trying to be a comedian. Yeah, it's, I mean, I don't necessarily feel, I wish that I could incorporate more science into my comedy. I'd say that like comedy has been like ticking the boxes of other things in my life, which is like, I'm a creative person. One thing I would say about stand-up comedy, not, I guess, writing comedy for TV or other things like that, but stand-up comedy itself is it's such an amazing thing to do if you're a creative person because you can do it wherever you want, whenever you want. You just need your brain, your thoughts, and, and like, like a notepad. To, yeah. yeah, or even just like your phone because you can record audio. And I do feel like people look at me on the subway now because I'm always just like going over things like jokes in my head and like mouthing along. I'm like, oh, sorry, even when I'm like with you, you do that. <laughs> I'll be like sitting with you on the subway and you'll just be like, one second. And then you'll just awkwardly be like moving your mouth like you're like friggin' It's s- fun. What's his name? Voldemort in yeah. like parcel. No, it does look like I'm doing spells. It really does look like that. I know and people are, I'm sometimes like worried. I'm like, I hope people think that like I'm not, I don't know, like summoning some demon. It may look like Greg is dropping mad parcel tongue when reading over his comedy notes on the subway, but the scientific term for what he's doing is sub-vocalization. So for those of you who want to become speed readers, you may want to drop this technique. Studies found that those who read the fastest would not move their mouths while reading. So maybe you want to read War and Peace? Do not move your mouth. But for Greg's stand-up comedy, he's trying to learn lines for a performance. So moving your mouth, aka subvocalizing, is really helpful. A study told participants to memorize a written passage. One group was not allowed to move their mouths, while the other was. Those who were allowed to subvocalize and move their mouths remembered the passage better. Subvocalizing is a way for us to increase comprehension of what we are reading. Studies show that you are more likely to move your mouth if you are reading another language, if you are reading in a distracting environment, or if you're reading something that's hard to understand. In the end, quit moving your mouth while reading if you want to read faster, but keep moving that mouth while reading if you want to increase comprehension. Like when I got into like 
editing and film and and sound mixing and stuff like it changes how I watch movies now like but you all said the it ruins time. it more for you you were not thinking ruins. more ruined because sometimes you're like that's a poor edit or that's a poor CGI maybe it might be true but also often I'll be like I'm so aware that most scenes you see on your screen, the audio is actually not from that scene. Like they've gone into a room later and dubbed their voices. Yeah, you always tell me about that. And, and it, it does ruin dra- things. As soon as yeah. you think of it, you're like, oh yeah, it sounds like it's coming from a, mo- a mic perfectly in front of their mouths, and that's because it is. But little moments like that where it kind of not ruins, it's a different perspective. And I imagine though, comedy. No, I like, honestly, I don't know. Again, I haven't been doing it for that long, but I disagree. It's only made me obsessed with stand-up comedy and be more appreciative of people who do it maybe i'm a little bit more critical that's true like maybe i'm like oh you feel like you have the right to be like okay i understand what's a good joke yeah i definitely don't think i have the right but sometimes i'm like oh (laughs) i think that's not funny more confidently than maybe before i would have just been like and not thought about it right but i think now i'm like inspired by a lot more people i i understand that like going up to do stand-up comedy like the first time that i did it i was like oh my god i've never felt like i'm gonna puke like this the way i have in a long time (laughs) like the piano recital in grade six it was like the same feeling it's so scary because you're alone and Uh you know if like your brain cuts out which does happen sometimes like your brain just like goes somewhere else you are gonna have to it's just such a fearful experience to be like and gregory brown and you're just alone the first time i saw you perform i i did not think i'd be nervous and as soon as they called your name i actually thought i was gonna throw up because then you're it's such a vulnerable position where like as an audience member as well you can't do anything to help you and they're expecting you to make them laugh yeah and every joke you're just like you have to feel the crowd on every single joke and be like that didn't work okay but be able to handle it in a way that doesn't like feel awkward or embarrassing or like i don't know it's a lot of pressure (sighs) Stage fright. It's that horrible feeling that most of us have to deal with. I distinctly remember the urge to vomit before doing piano recitals growing up, but why? We're social animals, and so we worry about our reputation. Getting on a stage to perform something makes you fear what it will do to others' perception of you. It's why even Beyonce probably gets nervous before a Grammy's performance. I mean, what will people think on Twitter? This situation creates a natural process in your body which involves the autonomic nervous system. You may have heard it described as your fight or flight response. If something is going to attack you, or in the case of getting on stage, something might attack your reputation, your body prepares to fight or run away. So let's get physiological. Before you get on stage, because you're freaking out, the hypothalamus in your brain makes the pituitary gland secrete something called ACTH, which flows through your body to your adrenal glands, which finally pumps out adrenaline into your body. Whoosh! Your back slouches, you start to shake as you prepare to attack, you sweat, blood pressure jumps, digestion slows down to deliver nutrients and oxygen to the muscles, which is why you feel like you're gonna puke. Your stomach literally shuts down and you feel like a mess just as you need to go on stage to try and appear cool. So how can we combat this? Well. Practice. Practicing any task increases familiarity, confidence, and makes you obviously less nervous. Zoom out. Talk yourself down. Are people really going to care about this presentation? Because I can already see so many people are asleep in class. Also, we all go through it. John Lennon famously puked before most of his performances, and he performed thousands of times. So stage fright may never fully go away, but with exposure and practice, maybe you can trick the audience into thinking you're chill. But your brain will still be firing as it's been adapted to. 
So, but how'd you take that first step? Did you just go to an open mic? Did you just like? Yeah, what? that's scary. Like that's the day of feeling like you're gonna vomit. I knew I was gonna go to an open mic that night. Uh, the one thing I would say is that's really important to like lock down five minutes or whatever. And I'm tr- I'm trying to get one of my friends to start doing it now because she's just so naturally funny. And so that's what I'm trying to do with her is be like, okay, you need five minutes of material. You can pr- literally film yourself watch it back be like was that funny do it for your partner like i do it for you all the time you can mm-hmm. do it for your friends and then one day we're going to go to an open mic you know you make them aware that it's your first time that happens all the time all the time people are going they're like it's their first time doing an open mic people are so open to that and gracious towards that and everyone knows how scary it is that it's not like you're going up and everyone's there to just like hack you down hopefully there's a lot of weird things going on in the comedy scene but if it's their first time people will be open and i don't know you might get bit by the bug you might just be like oh i did that i'm so happy i did that i'm done (laughs) like if you fall flat on your face you might be like i'm never doing that again yeah but that's fine at least you've like done at least you've tried right like so many people might be wanting to do it but they're still too scared to try but i don't know i feel like and you're right most open mics are like because i've come to watch you at some now and they're very supportive everyone because so many people there are doing it for their first time or they've only been doing it for you know less than a year and they're still kind of figuring out their shtick or or their jokes and it feels like you know no one's there heckling no one's there making fun of their jokes everyone wants to laugh at their jokes because it's like a supportive environment it feels like I, yeah yeah no no for sure i think that that's totally true and it, the worst that can happen is people don't laugh like people aren't gonna like boo you hopefully i mean I not don't know. in that environment like not at an open mic too because even if professional comedians go there they're testing stuff out and people might saying, laugh when you don't even expect it that's the thing true. sometimes like when i say jokes especially like when i go to open mics that i'm less comfortable with or like you know a lot of open mics are predominantly like straight dudes. And so it's not necessarily like if you're not, I'm not preaching to the choir sometimes because I don't have that many straight friends. And sometimes it's harder for me to make like comedy that relates to them. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they laugh so hard at these moments where you're like, oh, <laughs> like and it's, it's like interesting insight. Like even if it's your first time and you're worried about your jokes, you'd never know. Like I remember when we were in LA and I went to that place and I just started by being like, hi, I used to be a teacher. And they all started laughing oh, yeah. so hard. You were like, like, I was. <laughs> I was like, I was a teacher. I, didn't, I lo- listened to that back. I was like, I wish I handled it better. But I was literally like, what? Is why? what they were like? Because I was like, why did everyone start laughing? Yeah, I don't know. I think it was just like the way I said it really abruptly. And people are, when you're at open mics, people are wanting to laugh. Mm-hmm. I think they thought it, it was, was a, joke. a joke. I don't know. <laughs> I was like a little offended. But I'm like, I guess I don't give off like teacher vibes. I just couldn't count like December to April in months. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a smart guy, but, you know, sometimes I'm a little blonde. <laughs> so before we wrap this wrap up this section, I have one other piece of advice from someone looking from the outside in. So I'm not doing comedy, but I feel like part of what I can see and this goes to any field is that especially any creative field is this idea of talent. And some people are just like talented or some people are just funny. But I think what I see is the people who are really funny are also the hardest workers. Yeah, that's true. And so like I think because we've taken some courses for writing sketch comedy or and you've taken some comedy stuff and I think I've noticed around me that there are some ideas people who get really excited but then they don't follow through with just like doing their homework or coming and having done the work um, and I think that can disillusion people when their friends tell them they're funny because they are, but you have to put in the time. Yeah, you think a comedian is just this laid back person who drinks and is chill, but it's the best comedians who after they've done, they immediately leave the bar, they listen to their setback, they make their notes and I, I, I've definitely been like holding on to that, thinking I need to work really hard at this thing. It's it's not just because you're naturally funny doesn't mean you're going to be a stand-up comedian. Mm-hmm. And another amazing takeaway from stand-up comedy that we've brought into our work and that we've brought into like 
as someone who creates things, especially on the internet for a large amount of people, it can be really scary. You can have a lot of fear that what you're doing is bad, but stand-up comedy is the only way you can test if it's good is by getting in front of people and mm -hmm. trying it out. By trying things and seeing what works and seeing what fails and being reflective on that. And that's something that I've tried to bring into ASAP Science because sometimes we have crippling fear that allows us to do nothing because we're so scared of the reaction but it's like no we have to do it we have to see the reaction we have to see what was good about it what was bad about it and learn from it and that's like a stand-up comedy uh skill that i think is so beneficial to everyone and has really helped me in my life to just do it and figure out after what works and what didn't and i think it's helping with you too because you're a perfectionist and i think i'm <laughs> trying to like help you understand that i think you seeing me go up and fail sometimes and then do well sometimes and reflect is maybe helping you be like, yeah, okay, maybe I should try and do things, be like that, maybe. <laughs> you have. I feel like it's worked. Do you not think, are you like, no, you haven't thought about that at all? Well, sure, but I don't know. Like, I feel like this is your first time doing stuff like that, but I've done that my whole life has been performing and been on stage and doing all that kind of stuff. So Yeah, but sometimes you say that you don't like to perform unless it's good. Like, even for me, like, I want you to sing for me all the time. You're like, I can't until I, like, have got it, like, Perfect. Yeah, but that's different. Like singing is like you need to warm up and you need to like be ready and practice. Yeah, I, I do agree. I have a problem with perfectionism where I want to have a certain degree of confidence in my own ability. Like I don't want to sing a song for you right now that I haven't had a chance to go over. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> because I it's like you going up on stage and doing improv of a comedy set would not be the same as you practicing a comedy set and then getting to perform it in front of other people. I agree my mind might go a little further and I, I feel like it needs to be the best it can be. Yeah. But definitely it, it comes from a seed of just wanting to be like, no, I don't want to show you something until I know I'm happy with it and I'm confident because that, that's going to make me perform it even better. If I think yeah. it's good, I'm going to do better. And I think YouTube's just a harder place. A stand-up comedy show, people are expecting you, especially an open mic, to you know make mistakes. You're allowed to go, oh, that didn't work, cross it out. Whereas when you put something on YouTube, there's a different expectation, especially with a channel of our size. They're mm -hmm. like, that better be good. Yeah, it's got to be kind of like, it's yeah. a finished product. But I think that we need to, yeah, it doesn't have to be good. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's about evolution. We produce stuff every week. So I hope we can bring that as much as we can into our YouTube channel. And you'll see that. You'll mm -hmm. see all our mistakes online yeah, soon. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Anyway, we'll wrap up this section now. But uh, we'll thanks be for back talking soon. to me. Yeah, no problem. I'm excited to hear what uh, professional comedians' perspective on all this is. We are a newer podcast, so we don't actually have any ads right now. <laughs> so what we will ask you to do right now is to subscribe and leave a comment so that we boost our podcast so we can get ads in the future. And Woo! right now, we're gonna. You know, show you advertiser listeners out there how amazing your ads could sound on our podcast. So today, the fake ad we are going to bring to you is called Peas in a Pod. It's Ooh. the newest mattress delivery service. Have you heard of that? Oh, I have not heard of it, but it sounds amazing. What is it? Based on the epic, no what is that so <laughs> storybook? Oh, I'm reading their press release right here, but this, I can't quite read the small a... print. What is the, the pee in the mattress book about? Oh, like the fairy tale where she like sleeps and can feel yeah, the pee? So I don't know what that one's called. It's called Peas in a Mattress, I believe. <laughs> so interestingly, this company, uh, it's mattresses that are full of mashed Peas. No way. Yes way. And they, is that like good for you? Oh God, great for your back. They've done tons of mashed pea mattress research recently and they found that the consistency and the fibrous texture of the peas mashed up Jeez. is great for your back. It's memory foam like, but 
green, literally. I, I heard that it appeases your back. Oh my gosh, it does <laughs> appease your back. And amazingly, if you're ever uh, super hungry, you can slice the side of your mattress, just quickly fill up a bowl, sew it back up, put it in the microwave, you've got mashed peas with your dinner. And a little bit of a smaller mattress, but they say, <laughs> but they say a shrinking mattress is a great mattress. Have you never, ever, oh, never heard that? I've never heard that, but just like we can't remember the name of the fairy tale, we can't remember those little idioms either. Yeah, sorry, they just have a really messy writing. They wrote this press release on a piece of paper. It's like, oh, well, I do not. It's almost New like company, you, startup <laughs> culture. Anyways, just, yeah, it's called Peas in a Pod. Peas in a Pod. Peas in a Pod mattress. They send it right to your house. You open it up. There's a lot of liquid that comes out of it because what? it's uh, frozen. Oh, yeah. It's frozen. Peas. Oh, uh, so that's how it stays fresh for a while. Stays fresh for a long time. How Nothing. often do you have to change your mattress? Uh, once a week. Uh, <laughs> you need to get one every week. How many peas are you eating a week? Well, they get moldy, Mitch, because oh. they're not frozen once you start sleeping on them. Anyways, okay. we Silly would like question. to thank Peas in a Pod for sponsoring this podcast. And now we'll get back to the show. So we are in the booth with a professional comedian, Chantal Marastica, <laughs> <laughs> who's on Just for Laughs, been on CBC's The Debaters, been on Working Moms, and you are a working comedian. Yeah, that's my job. So I'm going to start with a question uh, that's based in science, okay? And yeah. it is that 15% of comedians, only 15% of comedians, think that they're going to be a professional comedian when they start. So first off, when did you start being a comedian? And did you think, this is it, this is what I want to do? Like, why'd you start? Is that a science question just because it has a statistic in it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, it's from, I a, like, it's from a science I book. just, like, God. wanted to know. Um, <laughs> I knew when I started that I wanted to be a professional comic. I knew that when I was, like, in, like, when I was a tween, no, like, eight or nine or ten, when I was a kid. I knew that I wanted to be a comic. Wow, that's amazing. Um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I wanted to be a singer, and my mom, I was like, Mom, am I better than Whitney and Mariah? And she was like, no, nobody is. Like, don't be an idiot. And I was like, you don't love me. So then I dropped that and was like, I'm I'm a comic now. I'm going to be a I also said I was going to be a vegetarian, which meant veterinarian. <laughs> um, being from Winnipeg, there was there's only just like a comedy club there. And that's, so there is a comedy club. At least. There's a yeah, comedy club. There's a comedy club, but they like, um, I, when I moved back to Winnipeg years later, I was the first, when I identified as female, I was the first female host in 30 years, and that's how long the club's been open. So it wasn't like a thing that I could go and do. And again, Winnipeg is a place, for those of you who don't know, it's in yeah, Canada. It's a it's an important place in Canada. There's an art gallery. Yeah. I, yeah, there is. Yeah, <laughs> there is. kind of looked at me like, is there? There definitely <laughs> yeah. is. It's, it's called WAG. Um... <laughs> So we went to Montreal, and that is, like, I guess a place a lot of people know because of Just for Laughs. There's, yeah, a, there's a big comedy scene, but you ended up in Toronto in the end. Yeah, I went to Montreal because because I was like, that's where Just for Laughs is. Like, if yeah. I had taken the time to Google it, Toronto <laughs> would have been the best option, but I didn't. I was just like, I'm going. And then I started, I lived there for three years. I did Just for Laughs, got a cool Coke addiction, moved back to Winnipeg. Oh <laughs> it was pretty cool. It was pretty chill. <laughs> <laughs> so this is like there are many scientific theories as to why people love either doing comedy or watching comedy. I'm going to talk about those a little bit later, but I'm just curious, like as a comedian, what do you think are the reasons why people, you know, come and watch you or why do you love it? Like, can you explain it? It doesn't have to be scientific. Just like, I, I think um, I don't know. I think that all of our experiences are so different. It's getting um, so many different people like say. Like when you do the up and comers, there's going to be like 200 people in a room 
all different backgrounds, all different stories, all come from a different place. And they'll hear a joke, but every single person hears it and takes a different thing from it. So if you hear like a, your mom is so fat joke, you might be laughing because your mom is really fat. Or you might be laughing because you were fat in high school. Everybody gets a joke in a different way, but we all laugh at the same time. I suffer from depression, anxiety, of a mood disorder. So comedy was always like being on stage when I can make other people laugh. Like when I'm not okay, if I can make somebody else, it, like it's, it's almost like a weird being on the spectrum thing of being like, oh, you're la- you're happy, I'm happy. Like if I can make someone laugh, then I've then I'm okay in a day. No, I think that I mean that's like a brilliant answer, and I think there is a lot of truth in that. There is a lot of science in that. It's like I always think about it too. I'm like, we're social beings. We want to be around each other, and laughter, you know, it creates endorphins. It creates like a physiological response that feels good. So mm-hmm. it makes sense that you would want to come together for the sole purpose of making people laugh. Like I think that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. We'll talk a little bit later about. Mm-hmm. the darker undertones of what comedy is but in essence you've gotten to what i think is an amazing point about it which is that making people laugh feels good and laughing feels good we can just talk through like the seed of an idea and how it comes out the other end and like what sort of like advice we would have for people wanting to craft jokes yeah and how you build it and how you build it, it and from. like yeah okay so we are gonna start by listening to one of your jokes I can booze, but, like, the person in my life who can handle booze the most is my aunt june my auntie June is so, she's so, she's, she is a party girl. We part, we go to her cabin every summer and she has like, I don't know, she has like this sign that says, what happens at the cottage stays at the cottage. And I don't know how to really register that in my brain because I'm like, did you get that? Did you buy that at a fair? Like, did you get it burnt into wood? Like where that, because you know, it's what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Because like, you know, Vegas is like, you're like, oh honey, should we get the Vegas shot glass? Or maybe the Vegas t-shirt for your mom. Or maybe I was thinking, you know what you could get? The sanctity of marriage. Bye, but the shots turn down for what? Like that's what happens in Vegas, and that's why it's what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What the fuck is happening at my Auntie June's cottage? How lit is it getting in the ne- in the in the neck in the in the Muskokas that she needs a fucking sign burnt into wood? Just came just like I can't even imagine. It's just like I had two Nanaimo bars. I had a coffee with dinner. <laughs> We didn't have any rosé, so I just mixed red and white together. <laughs> this girl is on fire. She's working on fire. I love Amanda Keys. My daughter put it in my iPod for me. Yeah. Marilyn, get up that wood burning kit. Like, what the? I don't even get it. Okay. So, like, is that your aunt? Is that your auntie? <laughs> um, that joke is about my Auntie June, but it's also not about my Auntie June Auntie at all. Auntie June, such a good name too. I did not know that. Yeah, no, June. my Auntie June is like so extra and so funny. Like I, when she comes to my comedy shows, I just roast her so hard. I'm like, oh, you brought your own tea bag? Everybody, my Auntie June just ordered a boil, a cup of boiling water, a free cup of, she brought her own fucking tea bags. But she, um, the joke actually is like about what happens at, when people appropriate like the, what happens at the stays at the and yeah. it's 
And my friend Eric had a what st- what happens at the cabin stays at the cabin sign in the outhouse. Which is so real. Like all those freaking signs like, every, from home signs. Every, like, every how fucking, is this yeah. marketable? Yeah, <laughs> I know. And it's for everything. Like what happens at the bowling alley? And it's like, what's happening there? <laughs> I don't get it, but like the, what happens on the girls' weekend? It's like, can we just just that's that's from Vegas? Yeah, <laughs> that's just for Vegas, and it we, makes sense. Yeah, but uh, he had that sign in the bathroom at the cabin. I was like, this makes zero sense because it's also like in the bathroom, <laughs> like it's not even in the place where no, we party all the time at his cabin. <laughs> so I just made it like my Auntie June's cottage because I just like. So did you play with those things? Like that, those haven't necessarily happened. Those are scenarios you played out in your head to be like, "This is so funny." That or like, joke comes from like so many places. Like it was at Eric's cabin. And then talk about what happens in Vegas. Like that would that we go in there and get like super fucked up, right? Yeah. But that that joke is like a joke that I wrote years and years and years really? ago. That, that was joke? its own joke. Oh, the, the where Vegas, I'm just like the Vegas portion. Vegas shot. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A glass or the Vegas or the sanctity of marriage. And that was the joke. And then I added the like, bah, but that. And then the yes, action of like, that at the, but the shots. Like, <laughs> That's where my friends are like, whenever they do that, it's like literally time slows down. And it does. If you watch it live, like I'm like, whoa, like I'm wasted. <laughs> like you use your whole body. It's so good. Yeah. Because I wanted to talk about like my aunt being like so extra and like how moms are like, because my mom is also one of those people that's like, why not? And it's like, <laughs> you didn't invent that. That's a magnet, Marilyn, actually, yeah. you know? Or, like, <laughs> What would Mar- what, what would Mar- like what would Jan Arden do? Like they're just such extra moms, you know? So I For just, those like- listening, Jan Arden is also an amazing cultural <laughs> Canadian treasure. Look her up if you don't know her. Yeah, and it works for anybody. What would Sarah McLaughlin do? Because my mom is like, if you thought of like I'm a mom or I'm an aunt, you so know, it's, like it's from them, really. Yeah, they are. The, all of my mom and her sisters are all like Martha Stewart's that are just like, I got crazy last night. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, we had we had too many dainties, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, okay, so it's literally okay. you're taking from them, but they haven't necessarily said that specifically, or have they? Um. That's just like those were my like in comedy. It's always like you primp up the details and yeah. you use examples in threes. So it was like, what would be a crazy thing my mom would do? She'd be like, I couldn't, you know, when they're like, I I I shouldn't, but I will. Okay, I'll have some chocolate. Mm, it's my birthday. Like yeah. everything that moms do, that's just like stop it. Just let yourself enjoy things, and like. 
Or like the, and then like the red wine, the rosé just mixing red and white together. It's just like how, I don't know, just examples of how like trashy, but also like extra, but not extra at all, like moms and aunts can be, where it's like, I don't, <laughs> what are you doing? So I also love kids so much. Like I love hanging out with kids because you get to know what's cool. Like now it would be like Fortnite or like Minecraft or like growing up it would have been Pogs, yeah. Or like, ooh, do you remember in grade six when it was like super cool to be able to come? <laughs> I always like to read, yeah, yeah. Limp Bizkit was like really big when I was in grade six. Um, so yeah, so like every cool guy in grade six would be like, yeah, I can ejaculate. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I really need to like figure this out for myself. So I went home. But on the shower, I literally was like, come on, vast death friends, testies, I've literally asked nothing of you my whole life. Like, we can do this, right? So I started, you know, like, touching myself, and I was like, ooh, what's sexy right now? What's sexy right now? I was like, oh, Pamela Anderson's pretty sexy. I'm, like, super into her career right now. Like, she just landed VIP in her headshot. Uh, but nothing was happening. So then I was like, hmm, okay, I'm gonna keep trying. And I was like, Ooh, on Sarah McLaughlin's hit album Surface Thing, she talks about fingering. Uh, nothing. I'm like, yeah, I'm like other musicians, and I literally thought of Blink 182 and blew a hole in my shower. <laughs> okay, hey, that was my jerk off joke. <laughs> I'm still there. I'm still just doing jerk off jokes. <laughs> yeah, so like, I don't know. I guess for me, it's like, again, I'm so new to this that I always am just like, thinking like I usually involves a little bit of like a joint or something and I just start I think about stories like from my life like do you do that too and oh yeah mostly most of my comedy is from a situation and then you just like you you primp up the details so that that it sounds better yeah okay because like that's what I mean like that was that's exactly a story that happened to you but you were like you're you were a little gay boy that thought he needed to be straight. So you're, and then you're just like throwing in all these yeah, niche gay details yeah, exactly. that pepper in how gay you are. Yeah, and it's like it's interesting because I know a lot of people say how gay, how gay, man, that's pretty gay. Um, <laughs> but a lot of people talk about how a lot of good comedy or like should come from some sort of truth or whatever. You hear stuff like that, like Pamela Anderson, like was my beard growing up. Like I was like, yeah. I love her, but it was always like for the wrong reasons. And like <laughs> Sarah McLaughlin does talk about fingering, and that's just like. I heard that the other day and was like, oh my God, Sarah. Sarah <laughs> McLaughlin, I feel like, was like her generation's like lord. Like she was edgy before she got this like rep of being like super like save the animals or whatever. Yeah, she yeah. was. She I know. Was. I'm like, I want to highlight her edgy times. Anyways, <laughs> it is uh, always like rooted. It still for me is rooted in truth. And I know that people say that's like where it should come from. But there's a part of me that is like excited for when like, and when I kind of watch sometimes watch comedians like really feel like they're talking about something more than just like, you know, the time they jerked off in the shower. I'm not there yet, but, like, do you find but that... But that wasn't a jerk-off joke. It was, like, a joke about you being... realizing that you're gay, also. Yeah, there's no, a, yeah, there's a lot funny. of things going on there in that joke that aren't... that you're not addressing, that you're just like, I'm new and I suck, and that's not... that's not a jerk-off joke, so I wouldn't paint it as that. Yeah, sorry, that's, like, a different issue of my own where I, like, put myself in all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, but especially when you're that. new, you're gonna do that, but it's, like, the, all you can do is keep writing those jokes about your experiences and then, like, edit them and keep building them until you have, like, the most solid seven minutes and then edit until that's down to five and you add more and then that's the solid seven minutes and it's that's the life of a comedian really yeah, right you're just it's always trying of... to have 
a showcase set so that when you are booked for things that you're like, what what set am I going to do today? Like what 15, what 10, what seven? You so whip that, it out of your brain. Almost. Yeah. So you can just like, you could like show up anywhere even in the next hour and you'd be able to be like, okay, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Especially if I'm like, if I get, if I'm not first and I get to see what the audience is like and then I'm like this one, this one, this one. Okay. That's amazing. So the last thing I want to talk about is just something that I've been reading about with comedy and that like from a physiological perspective, when and Freud also has talked about how comedy is a way of dealing with like the issues of the world in a nice way. That's why we like it because it's people talking about these dark, you know, forbidden thoughts, but working on a stage out. and working them out. And so I want to have a conversation about, you know, I, I think I can agree with why that makes sense that that's what humor is. And then also, so for maybe people who are arguing against like safe spaces or places where, you know, you can't say that, that's not funny. Like, what are our perspectives when it comes to sometimes comedy should and can be challenging, but then also balancing that against, you know, not offending people. And as we've spoken a little bit about and as I've witnessed, like transphobia, homophobia coming from people who are standing on stage doing comedy at me and I'm now sweating and feeling awful. Like, yeah. how do we balance that? And what do you think is your opinion and your experience of that? I think my opinion about that has changed over the years. Uh, I, comedy was such a boys club. Comedy was such a boys club for me growing up that I was like, uh, uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone said anything can be funny. And I agree with that because like, I also am from Winnipeg. So I had to learn a lot of problematic, like thoughts and behaviors that were like, uh, phobias and racism that you don't even re realize that you're a part of and you um, feel like oh you felt like someone was telling you had the ability to speak on those things well so. just like that anything if and if some if one thing can be funny anything can be funny and then as i like actually validated my own experience as a queer non-binary person and how i live my life differently than other people and watching my friends of color and my trans friends like how they move about the world seeing and validating those experiences and being like it's not funny not everything can be funny but i think like in my, I, I was like, no, you can't talk about rape is off the table. Abort, like these things are off the table. And then as I've explored comedy more and like lived in Toronto for longer and been really deep in like in a queer uh, community and like surrounded myself with more diverse friendships that are like, that are so important to me. I, I've, I put it back on the table that everything can be funny, but hate speech is not free speech. So uh, when you think that you're, uh, allowed to talk about these things um, that's your uh, entitlement talking and like if you, you can talk about anything but hate speech is also like you can you can touch on all these important on all this important subject matter like on uh, what it is to be a trans person and not be a trans person as long as you're not being transphobic homophobic ableist or racist or misogynist like you can do those things but people don't put the work in to understand what those things are so when they do write jokes about them they don't know why they're what they're saying is wrong and it's like it's problem like if you were able to get to the core of what your actual thought process about those things are, then you would understand why what you're saying is problematic. That is like, I'm so happy hearing you say that because I almost feel like it made things clear for me because I've been having to go through this because, yeah, I do have to go into these new spaces. And I've noticed that at a lot of open mics, people are saying homophobic or transphobic things. And I'm like, it's not funny. And I think you're right. It's like there's people are excited about being controversial because they want to be that comedian. 
but it's like you need to put in extra work if you aren't a trans You have to learn to those things so exactly. you can understand them. Yeah, and so I think what I would say is like- And if you just see those things existing around you and you're like, I'm going to talk about it, you have no understanding it's not for you. Exactly. That is not for you. Do the work and exactly. then you can talk about yeah, it. Yeah, so like if you're thinking that you want to talk about that, do the extra work. If you feel safe in every space, then a safe space doesn't make sense to you because a safe space is for people- that you when you when you when you're con- when you come out every, like every hour of every single day that's what or if you wake up and you're like um is my life as an indigenous person going to be questioned if you're a trans person you're like what how many times will I be misgendered or is my life on at stake like that's why a safe space is important for you because there it's a space where you will actually be able to exist as yourself without having to explain to anyone why or who you are or why you exist also when it comes like to the comedy thing and like even using that as like maybe a reason to mock safe spaces being like comedy is about challenging notions just surely based on how comedy works and how it's about shifting perspectives and really being smart about things a trans person is going to make the best trans joke like yeah there's like you can't argue with that because they're going to have the life experiences they're going to be able to know how to be like i can make my experience relatable to people they're going to kill those jokes it's like i would almost say it's arguable to be like yeah maybe you should leave it up to them unless you literally have the most ground breaking thing to say thank you so much so well said it's been so nice and insightful to speak to you how do people find you the best way i would be is your instagram which is fly you have instagram stories that are thank great. you i eat alone a lot which is funny um <laughs> at Shant- Chantal morostica is my instagram is that the same for twitter and all that stuff uh, my twitter is at shanty morostica i'm an old old man no i don't really understand how to <laughs> but at Chantal morostica is pretty much where you can find me everywhere yeah, google it find it you're a professional comedian you are performing all the time you are amazing you have helped me so much on this like new journey that I have I can't express it enough and just thank you so much for taking the time to talk about some confusing things and hopefully educating people and getting people inspired about comedy for good reason Hey friends, this will be a short and sweet break. We just want to say that wherever you get your podcast, wherever you're listening to the Side Note podcast, if you could comment on it, uh, leave some good remarks, but also, you know, tell your friends about it. It's, it's still a brand new podcast, so we're still trying to grow it and find an audience for it. And use the hashtag Side Note podcast and let us know what you actually think. We, we're really just trying to experiment and hopefully, you know, we can change it up. Things can change from this point on. So give us your feedback, good or bad. We'd love to hear it. And uh, let's get back to the show. Thanks for listening. I feel like this is like a controversial opinion to have, but for a long time, like I loved Amy Schumer. I thought she's so funny, and I know it is weird. That's a controversial opinion. I don't know if it's because I'm a gay man and she's a woman, and like maybe the styles of humor. It just feels like straight bros like hate Amy. Well, okay, this like frustrates me because, I mean, I like we like entertainment culture. Obviously, there's a lot of people have a lot of audacity and like opinions, and they think like, okay, if someone makes a mistake, we tear them down. Someone does well, we like love to come up or Mm -hmm. whatever. Like. I'm even seeing it now with like Cardi B and Tiffany Haddish. I'm like, they're amazing, but it's like people are starting to like, like kind of turn. To fall. Yeah, yeah, because they were so famous so fast. But mm-hmm. it's like Tiffany Haddish is effing hilarious, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and she's always been hilarious. And I'm just like, it scares me because and it and there's a thread through all that, which is women. Right. And I really think that that's true. And I recently was in a class, and I was so frustrated because. Everyone was going around the room and trying. I think the actual question was like, name a comedian you like and name a comedian that you don't like. And it was also to mention, it was all men in the stand up comedy class that I was in, which was very interesting. It's interesting the types of people who feel mm-hmm. like their voices should be heard or have the confidence <laughs> to speak in front of audiences. 
But yeah, so everyone went through and every single person that these men had said that they liked were men and that they didn't like were women. And it got to me and two of them said Amy Schumer and it frustrated me because I I do agree that her recent special, I was actually like, wow, this right. isn't Not that nearly funny. As good, yeah. But it was one of those things where I'm like, oh, maybe it is harder to be funny when you're famous. Yeah. But she was hilarious. Like, you can't... Like, her original stand-ups yeah. are like, yeah. They're not not funny. And yeah. they're not worth tearing down. And it's also like, everyone was obsessed with John Mulaney. And I'm like, maybe this is a controversial opinion, but I'm like, yeah, he's funny, but he is not, to me, like, astounding or interesting in any way. Like, he's talking, he's a really good storyteller, he makes jokes about being Catholic. It's like, I've heard this before. Like, he's not not funny, but if you're gonna tear down Amy Schumer, right. you, can't you have to tear down the other... Comedian. Yeah, and it just, like, it, there's so much sexism involved, but I, I would say, like, there's, there's people, like, now that I'm getting into it, like, there's this guy named Julio Torres who does, like, comedy about like objects and it's like so weird it's almost like art and it's like i'm curious if it goes wrong it probably goes wrong but he's doing really well he writes for snl he's so funny and there's like cool there are people who are like doing <laughs> cool cool, cool. <laughs> sorry but people who are doing interesting things that are like okay there's like a way to make comedy really really like weird and cool like i respect that but then like john mulaney is not doing that he's hilarious Fair. I haven't like, seen it, so I can't really comment. I'm just like, it. if you can't tear down Amy Schumer's like specials and then right. not tear down John Mulaney's because it's like they are both funny. They are. They're both mm -hmm. funny. Mm -hmm. They're not not funny. Like it's just like I don't know. I think it's a sexist thing. There, it's it's just harder for women. Obviously, we're maybe not the most. It's definitely an industry. Like, this, how do you feel like, about that? Like, yeah, you've mentioned how most of the stand up things you go to, except for a queer event that they have here in Toronto that you go to as well. But at the at the other ones, it's mostly just like dudes. Not very many women. Not very many gay guys or gay people. Um, no, how do you feel about that? Really being, weird. You kind of like rag on me a lot for like liking reality TV and being part <laughs> of like a world that maybe is like a little problematic. And now I'm like, you literally are in a pretty the problematic, problematic world. <laughs> yeah, but people do what they're told they should do. And in the past, most stand-up comedians have been white men. In fact, like statistically, even now, I think it's like only thirty percent of professional comedians are women. And in that, like before, like the '90s, it was like two percent. Mm -hmm. Like the actual shift in demographics, it's like clearly men have been told for a long period of time that they should, they're funny. And there's, there is a lot of male privilege in comedy, like so obviously. And so there's a lot of like harder work that I think other people have to do. And it frustrates me like, why are we all tearing down all these women? I do not want Tiffany Haddish to be teared down. <laughs> She's so funny. A 2017 study found that in the UK, only 31% of comedians on panel shows were women. But this is significantly better than in 1989, where only 3% of comedians on panel shows were female. In the past, comedy as a profession was considered exclusive to men, but over time, women have gained acceptance in the trade, though the industry remains predominantly male. Though the reasons for this are complicated and rooted in patriarchal systems, it may also be related to attraction. Humor is a social phenomenon. It is directly impacted by relationships with other humans. For example, humor can make us feel more attracted to someone. A study in the journal Archives of Sexual Behavior found that women find humor to be the most desired trait in a man, whereas men found good looks to be the most desirable trait in women. But this is cultural. In Siberia, humor didn't even appear on the top 10 list of most desired traits that women had for men. Women were more interested in faithfulness and reliability over humor. Another study found that in most relationship categories, women preferred men who were funny and men preferred women who appreciated their humor. While another series of studies found that women laugh 125% more than men do when presented with comedy videos and comics. Both factors in this equation lead to men telling the jokes, but this does not mean that men are funnier. 
If anything, it could explain why so many more men think they are funnier and therefore disproportionately decide to pursue something like stand-up. So what really defines something as funny, though? Because that's something I find frustrating when people dislike music. I'm always like, well, if it's popular, it's good. Not necessarily good. I understand that there's levels to, like, complex jokes or complex music and that that stuff will never be mainstream. But, like, can we really evaluate what is funny if people like it? No, my, like, me speaking this heated right now is about when people come for Amy Schumer or, like, or, you know what I mean? And it it's like, just kind of like, why are you whatever. so People easily like mad it. at them? I think yeah. they're mad that it's maybe a style of humor they don't like that much, but so many people like it that it becomes this frustration of like, I need to prove this sucks. So I need to go on the internet. I need to like find comparisons where it's like Amy Schumer's joke is similar to somebody else's, and I need to tear her down but to make also, me feel like my opinion is valid. And I think it's because like she becomes really successful as a woman, so she stands out, and people think, oh, she doesn't deserve right. her success. But I'm like, Jack. Whitehall just hosted the Brits. Like he's super successful out of nowhere. Like John I think Mulaney you're right. it's is like on because big, she get... stands out because she's a woman. Yeah, like because people... less women are in comedy. Period. Yeah. Here you go, boy in the comedy scene who's gonna try and make it now. So how do you feel about that? You're a guy. Like you want to try and make it. Would you feel discredited if someone was like, "Well, it's just because you're a man." I've had a strong stance on being like. We, you need to lift up other voices and you need to lift mm. up other people. So if anyone was ever like, oh, we're going to like book this woman over you, I would be like, that's a really good idea. <laughs> and I'm, But again, I'm not trying to make this my living. Right. So it's, so easier it's a lot for easier you for to be to like, yeah. But pro- I'm going to be open. I'm going to, I know about like how patriarchy works. I'm going to make jokes on behalf of the fact that that's a real thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I'm not going to like try and tear down women, which is what happens a lot, or tear down trans people, which happens a lot, or tear, tear down queer people, which happens a lot. And I just am like, yeah, I don't think it's that interesting that I'm a gay man. I think there's lots of gay male comedians. But if I do go and do a stand-up night at an open mic and I am gay, sometimes they'll be like, oh, there was a gay person. Like, sweet. See, we're diverse. Like, it's like I can't. <laughs> I'm like, I don't can't. For a while, I had a strong point that Pineapple Express was the funniest movie. What? <laughs> like, when I saw it, what my point was was that I always found, like, you know, like, wedding. Remember that? This is like an era of highs. Remember like Wedding Crashers? Yeah, I don't know. I never saw that. Oh, well, I just remember like all the guys like, Wedding Crashers is so funny. It's so sick with bro humor. <laughs> and I'm like, it's a romantic comedy. Like 45 minutes of that movie is devoted to like the relationships between these right. like, yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I'm a like, lot okay. of like bro humor comedies still are romantic yeah. comedies. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. I just like, I remember thinking Pineapple Express, like because they didn't have to deal with that. It was just like ridiculous the whole time and there was action i remember thinking like oh it was my point of being like i like when comedy movies are just funny yeah true oh we've talked that makes me think of one that i think is like mostly just funny it is a little romantic comedy but bridesmaids does a pretty good job oh i was actually gonna say i was literally about to talk about bridesmaids and say the opposite and that bridesmaids was one of those times where i really appreciated like the vulnerability sorry you're right i meant it didn't go so deep into that i I kind of forget but not in like a romantic comedy cheesy cheesy. yeah it didn't feel like and now the music will swell and they'll like finally kiss like i actually forget the movie it's been so long but i remember laughing out loud and feeling like yeah a lot of romantic comedies you have that moment where you're just like is it I guess people do like that part, but I'm always well, like... Well, I don't know. I uh, just was always like, why is everyone making fun of me for being gay when all these dudes are like obsessed with romantic comedies? Like, Wedding Crashers <laughs> is a romantic comedy. I'm sorry. Just because the first 20 minutes, there's like bros like farting or whatever. I don't right. know. Again, I only watched it once and was mad. <laughs> but like, um, I think A Bridesmaids is like a really cool comedy because it 
doesn't do like there is still the relationship aspect of it but there is like that whole really sad part in the middle where you actually feel for Mm -hmm. her she's an amazing actress and i think that comedy shouldn't always be funny which is also interesting because even now i'm like when i asked you what are your favorite comedies you probably don't know because comedy and like drama is so weird now right when you watch tv especially tv yeah most people even like one of my favorite shows please like me like which is created by an australian guy um he mentioned like they pitched it as a comedy because that's the only way they could like sell it but it actually is all about mental health i cry like like, all the time in that show yeah and it's interesting that i feel that like I Atlanta, mean, I don't, Atlanta's funny, but also not. Yeah, so many yeah. modern day comedies are a little bit more than just that. As the art of television evolves, people are having the confidence to break conventional structure and challenge the idea of what a comedy is. The TV Academy, which is behind the Emmys, even decided that to make things less complicated, they will say that anything that is half an hour is a comedy and anything that is an hour is a drama. But this clearly doesn't make any sense. It isn't taking into account the content of the TV show that's being judged. Similar issues have happened with movies at the Golden Globes. For example, The Martian was submitted by the studio in the musical and comedy section and went on to beat Trainwreck and The Big Short. I mean, yeah, there's a few jokes in The Martian, but for the most part, it's a dramatic interpretation of what it means to be isolated on Mars alone. Moving forward, the Hollywood Foreign Press said they're not going to allow the studio to decide which category a movie should be in, but they will decide on their own now. But then again, this year, Get Out was deemed as a musical or comedy, but it was a horror film about systemic racism. Again, it had funny parts, but overall, calling it a comedy is clearly a bit of a stretch. But since TV has begun to step away from the big studio multicam, 22-minute comedies of the past like Friends, Will and & Grace, and Cheers, and into the single-camera comedies of the streaming future, we will likely see more diverse voices and structures of shows making it harder and harder for us to define them under an umbrella term. So I feel like I just got heated. I don't really know. <laughs> You're always like, heated. <laughs> I am it's always really heated. Here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, but that was really great. I'm very excited about being a stand-up comic. When can people come out. and see you? Never, because I'm so scared. No, one day, okay, we're going to let people know eventually, like, promote. You have to have a proper show date one time when you feel ready. Whenever you feel but ready. But that's when I need, like, someone else like you to, like, really push me, because I'll never be ready. I'm not the type of okay, person who, I like, will do it. When I feel you're ready, I'm going to organize a show, and we're going to advertise that on our podcast and on our YouTube, and everyone's going to come. Oh <laughs> I literally want to barf immediately, so I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Okay, bye. Okay, thanks for listening, as always, and we'll see you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. 
not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.